Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask you to take this moment and by your spirit, focus what I'm about to say through the lens of your holy word and write on our hearts your promises. Amen. So I take a look at these little ones here this morning and I go, what have we done? Beautiful, new life, fragile, precious. We've poured water over them, but we've claimed God's promises. And now we're going to send them home? (laughs) What's next? What's next in the life of these young ones? What's next for their parents? Perhaps you remember the first time that you set eyes on a newborn. It was probably somebody in your family, maybe a cousin, maybe a neighbor or a friend. There it was, this tiny new life with surprising lungs. And the parents said, ah, baby's hungry. And then all the stuff that they had to do because of that, holding the baby a certain way, burb cloth, even, even keeping track of how long they fed. And finally, it was over. And the baby was content. And the diapers were changed. And the baby was swaddled in a peaceful moment as their eyes locked on mom or dad. And then sleep. Pretty cool. And then you were ready to go home, right? Because like my nephew said after meeting my firstborn over at grandma's, let me know when he gets to be 10 years old so I can play with him. (laughs) For my nephew, this baby thing, ah, that was over and done. But we know it's not that simple, don't we, parents? These parents maybe got two hours of sleep before they have to do it all over again and again and again. You just can't dress them once, feed them once, store the memory in a photo on your phone, and then skip all the rest. But there's, there's some joy in all the rest, isn't there? You get that first step. You get the first word. You get that first friend and the first emergency trip to the hospital for an x-ray. You get the first day in school, the first fight, and so on and so on until the first date and the first driving lesson. Uh, Maybe we should skip the teenage years. But it's great. But what's the goal? What's the goal of what we're doing here? To see in a newborn child the adult that's promised. Someone using all their abilities. Someone discovering their passions and purpose and meaning in life that they've been given to become this fully functioning, capable adult able to reproduce and nurture kids of their own. That's what a parent does day by day. They form these adults through the practice, practice of brushing their teeth and learning how to spell. And then they teach their kids the postures of life to share their toys, to be kind, to help mom and dad and to help out living in the family. And someday... Maybe they'll know how to live with a roommate at college or to live in this new family that they create. It can't take just one feeding, can it? Nope, it happens in the second and then the third and the 9,451th. Yeah, that gets them to just about nine years, that's all. So back to my question, what now? What's next for these young ones who have received new life in Jesus today, who were born of their heavenly Father by the Spirit of God? New life, and we nurtured them with our our prayers and our promises here this morning. But that was just the first meal. It can't be the last, or the faith in each of these will starve and die. So what are we going to do about it? 
And yes, I mean we, you and me, and these parents, all of us together. It takes us all. Moses gives us some pretty wise insight into that process. It's in the instructions that he gave to all of his community, the children of Israel. They had once been slaves in Egypt, but they had been rescued. Their slave chains broken, their masters defeated. They had escaped from Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea and led to a land of promise. So one of the first things the people of Israel had to learn was a really hard lesson for them, really hard, and hard, honestly, for us, too. They had to learn that it had all been God's doing, and God alone was God. After all, slaves have no power to free themselves or to earn their freedom. It was God who'd done that. God claimed helpless people as his people. And if if they'd been loved like that, how could they not love him in response? Who would want to forget that? Wouldn't they, wouldn't they want their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids to know that love, to love God back like that? So Moses gets them all together, and we read about it in Deuteronomy 6. He says, hear this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He brought us out of the land of Egypt. He brought us, bought us out of the house of of slavery. There are no other gods. He alone is worthy of all our love and devotion. So hold nothing back. His word, his instruction for life, brings life. Put that in your heart forever. Remember it. Treasure it. Don't lose it. Don't let it fade. And I can hear the Israelites say, that's good. But how do we do that? And Moses says, teach. Teach your children well. Talk about it when you sit down with them at home, when you walk through your day. Make it the last thing you do at night and the first thing that you do in the morning. Keep your eyes focused on this truth. Keep it in front of you like a a tattoo on your hand or a sign on your door that you see every time you go out and you come in or every time that a neighbor passes by. Walk on the dog. They can see it in how you live. Moses is saying this this should be a living reminder, something that life itself wraps around. Because when you live it, your kids are going to see it. When you live it, your community is going to learn it. And when you live it together, the next generation will know it. For us today, the story of God's rescue of the children of Israel is a reminder of what God has done for us, how all of us are born slaves to sin and death with absolutely no power of our own to ever break free or to ever earn our freedom. And God saw the mess we had created, the mess we were in, and he came himself to wash us and cleanse us, to break all the chains that hold us to sin and death. And it cost him his life, given on the cross, his life for ours. And by his death, We are made children of God. And by his resurrection, we are given life for eternity. So yeah, Moses is also talking to us. You don't want this to be forgotten. So teach your children well. Teach them the story of God's salvation. Now, there's a very interesting word that Moses uses in his instructions. It's a Hebrew word 
which we often translate as teach diligently. But the Hebrew word here, shanan, is a beautiful picture word. It means keep sharpening up your blade on the whetstone. In other words, hone in on your message. Keep crafting it. Keep refining it until we incisively get the point of the story across. And then keep it sharp. Maintain the edge. Don't let the lesson get dull. All of that in a little itty-bitty word, shanan. Shanan our children well. But why? What's the goal here? Well, the same as it was before, to help form in our children the adult that's promised. To give them the practice and postures that will help them to live life well through faith. So that they can use all of their abilities. So they can use all the gifts that God puts in their life. So they discover their passions that will help them serve and to make a difference all around them. So they discover their purpose in God's kingdom and his mission. A rich, satisfying, meaningful life. Our goal is that they become fully functioning, equipped adults, able to reproduce their faith, to look, to live, to love more like Jesus and to help others to do the same. So our goal for these kids that are baptized today, that one day they, they will confirm their faith given here in this moment in baptism. That they confirm what they have seen modeled for them by their parents, by their sponsors, and by you and by me. Yes, we come alongside these parents to give the next generation another example of faith. And we do that. We do that when we actually take time to be with them when we encourage them, when we talk with them, when we play with them at Camp Kid Street during the summer, when we tell them a Bible story on a Sunday morning and then share with them how that story had really impacted our life, when we work alongside of them some summer at work camp, when we weekly invest time with them and their friends in Lighthouse, and perhaps most importantly from their viewpoint, when we feed them on a Sunday night at Shine, all this, Shanan, so that someday they will stand before us and with us as the family of God and confirm that the faith that was given to them here this morning in baptism, well, that it's indeed their faith. We call that confirmation, and we celebrate that process today. Now, confirmation is just something that we have designed. It's a human teaching. You won't find any commandment in the Bible that calls for a rite of confirmation. What we do find in God's Word, just as we've already talked about this morning, is that our faith is to be passed on to that next generation. Confirmation is one of the ways we do that. So this is the first of three points that I'm going to make this morning about confirmation. And maybe you're going to want to jot them down on that message notes page you have. First and foremost, the confirmation process at Trinity helps us intentionally pass our faith on to the next generation. Confirmation helps us to be intentional and to pass our faith on to the next generation. We say that we want to look and to live and to love more like Jesus. Well, confirmation helps us to help the next generation do the same thing. At Trinity, that process becomes more focused for our middle school kids in a program that we call Lighthouse. In Lighthouse, our students 
participate weekly during the school year in both kind of a large group format and a small group format with both adult and student mentors. What they do there complements the work that they're doing on their own with their parents and family at home. And over three years, they work through seven different modules of information that are tied into the six parts of Martin Luther's small catechism, covering such things as the articles of faith, what we believe. We cover things as God's word and the Ten Commandments, how God's gifts of the sacraments and baptism and Lord's Supper nurture and sustain us, and they learn how to pray and how to worship. The capstone of this process is to craft a public confession of their faith on a weekend such as this, something that we do with adults who are new in faith as well as with students. So our confirmation process is designed not to just introduce people to the facts about Jesus. It is designed to introduce them to Jesus, that they know him and know his Holy Spirit, to trust his powers and strength when things aren't going well at school or at home, to recognize his truth when teachers challenge the role that God has in science, to know Jesus' voice and follow his lead when, when friends are pressing them to do something uncomfortable, and to find, to find more love and joy through Christ than they could ever find in the temptations that will come their way. The second point about confirmation is really a prayer, that the confirmands will lead these young adults to profess their faith before the world. We pray that these young people will confess, profess their faith before the world. Because the love and joy we experience in Christ, well, that's something that we want to share with everyone so they can experience it. Romans 10.9 teaches us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That verse teaches us that our faith is very personal. It's a faith that resides in our heart and governs what we believe and what we do and what we say. But while our faith is personal, this verse teaches us it is never private. Our faith is visible. Our faith is audible. We confess or acknowledge or proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord alone, that Jesus died and rose again for me. We heard the same thing earlier when the gospel lesson was read by Ralph. Jesus said, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. In other words, Jesus will confess before God the Father that he knows us when we publicly confess that we know Jesus. It's a crucial step in our faith life. So we, you and I, equip these young ones to not only know about the faith, but also to share the wonderful hope that they have in Jesus. And to share it wherever the opportunity comes, wherever God's love is needed, where grace and mercy and justice can heal the broken, to mend the wounded. Of course, we're in a society that more and more finds a proclamation of, I follow Jesus, to be more of a declaration of intolerance and judgment. To profess our faith can risk ridicule. It will invite opposition, and it may result 
in fear. The temptation to maybe stay put or to be quiet. But we also show our compromands what, what Jesus tells us in John 16, verse 33. He says, you can have peace in me. Here on earth, you're going to have many trials, many sorrows. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world, including sin and death and the devil. And the Lord, well, he did it freely for us, out of fatherly goodness and mercy for each one of us, so we can each say, he did it for me. On this, this profoundly changes our life. Our third point this morning, my final point, expresses our hope that through confirmation, our students will commit to serving Jesus in response to what he has done for them, that they will commit to serving Jesus, a posture that will profoundly impact their life. In our readings this morning, we heard Joshua. Joshua urging the people of Israel to remember that God is God. Unfortunately, they had forgotten it already. This was a time where they had forgotten what God had just done for them, getting them out of Egypt. And they were being seduced by all the pleasures of the cultures that were around them. He calls them again to remember, remember it all, how God had rescued them, how he was their God and their father. And then Joshua calls them to remember what they had promised in return, in response, that they would accept God's covenant, that they would live as his people. Joshua lays it all out. If living as the children of God seems undesirable to you, If you think the other gods offer you more, then you're going to have to make a choice. So come on, Israel, which is it? Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Choose who gets to call the shots in your life. Will it be the Lord who gave everything to love you? Or will it be the empty promises of the idols that are around you? Joshua tells us, serve the Lord or serve the lie. Serve the Lord and find abundant, rich, purposeful life. Or serve yourself, seeking all those things that you would want, but just to see them slip through your fingers. And it is, it is a today thing. Choose today whom you will serve. Joshua adds, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Confirmation is that call. Whom will you serve? The God who pulled you out of sin and death in the waters of your baptism? Or will you serve yourself? It is by faith. It is through the Holy Spirit's power. It's in Jesus' name that we can say, well, as for me, I will serve the Lord. And then, amazingly, by the grace of God, we actually begin to live that way. We see the kingdom of God expand by what God does through us. We produce fruit that changes circumstances and and people. But not all the time. We get tempted, we turn aside, we forget, we falter, we get busy with other things. Now, our faith is given us, but it's not fully formed. And in confirmation, we don't whitewash the fact that we Humans, we often slip up. We teach our kids the truth that God, who begins this good work in them, does not fully complete it until the day we are finally 
together with him forever. And so, we share with him that there are times we fail. We fail miserably to serve the Lord. And we then experience guilt and we experience remorse and we suffer from our own judgment. And then by God's grace, we remember, we remember what was passed down to us that we are still a part of God's family. We still live with him. For Jesus intercedes for us and God sprinkles us with the blood Jesus shed. In other words, God washed him and he washed us with pure water. And in our baptism, he gave us the promise to forget all our sin. Engraving his promises in our heart forever. For while we may break our promises to him, he never breaks his. He picks us up and we go on from there. What other God can do that? What other God would do that? Amen. Amen. Thank you for spending some time in God's Word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois, where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Would you like to know more about a relationship with Christ or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group? Please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T-L-C, the number four, and the letter U.org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.